Good morning. I am Apostle William B. Corrector, presiding prelate of Discovered Thing Ministry Incorporated. I'd like to welcome you to today's podcast where we will be studying on this subject. What is the significance of lions in the Bible? Let us go to the throne of grace, Heavenly Father, from whom all blessings flow. We come today, Lord God, to give you honor and praise and worship. Teach us, Lord God, truly how to worship you. Father, for you said the true worshipers of you shall worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we come today, Lord, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man can come unto you lest come by him. Father, we come today using the power of God, the word of which is your word, to tell Satan he is a defeated foe. He has no authority in the kingdom of God. And Father, we thank you for blessing your people today through your word. As I, Father, try to expound upon what you have given me through the Holy Ghost, that your people may benefit and that hearts may be changed and people's hearts may be delivered from the chains of Satan. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We give you the glory for all things. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. What is the significance of lions in the Bible? Lions are legendary, legendary for their strength, beauty, and fearlessness. The lion has been called the king of the beasts and the king of the jungle. And in the Bible, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah, referenced in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. The lion's symbolism expands our understanding of baby Jesus in the manger, referenced in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And the suffering Savior on the cross, referenced in Isaiah 53, Verse 7, revealing Jesus as the conquering king of kings, a roaring lion taking vengeance on his enemies, referenced in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. Lions are mentioned in several contexts throughout scripture, sometimes positively to God's, to describe God in Hosea chapter 11, verse 10 and sometimes negatively as symbolic of evil and destruction, referenced in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 15. Apostle Peter compares Satan as a roaring lion and warns us to beware of the enemy's schemes that will destroy us, referenced in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. A lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away, and is intended to terrify all who hear it. Lions roar to establish their territory and to communicate their power. But a roar can do nothing. It's threatening but powerless unless we give it, give in to fear and allow the lion to overtake us. Our enemy, Satan, roars with his threats, doubts, and accusations an effort to terrify us into giving up so he can defeat us, referenced in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. But even the threat of a roaring lion cannot overcome those who stand firm in the armor of the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 is this reference. 
Possibly, probably the most familiar mention of lions in the Bible is found in the story of the prophet Daniel. This godly man was thrown into the lion's den for refusing to obey the Persian king bans, king's ban on prayer, referenced in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16. A lion's den is sure destruction for anyone tossed inside. Yet God showed his authority over even the most powerful beasts by shutting the lion's mouth. I think I'll repeat that. A lot of us need to hear that today. Yet God showed his authority over even the most powerful beasts of the beast by shutting the lion's mouth. Daniel, rather than come to a gruesome demise, emerged from the den unharmed. Referenced in Daniel chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. The lions are featured in the description of the cherubim surrounding the God's throne. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 14 says, Each of the cherubim cherubim had four faces. One face was that of a cherubim, the second face of a human being, the third face of a lion, and the fourth beast, the face of an eagle. Some assert that the presence of the lion's face may symbolize the boldness and strength of God's character. Other scholars suggest that the lion's face represents God's rule over wild beasts. Isaiah chapter 11 describes the coming era when Jesus reigns on the earth. Peace and harmony will dominate even the animal's kingdom. Verse 6 paints the picture of this time. The wolf will live with the lamb and the lion will lie down the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The image of the lion lying peacefully beside a baby calf describes a world restored to its original state. Isaiah chapter sixty five verse twenty five continues this idea. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. But the food of the serpent will be dust, referenced in Genesis chapter 1, verse 30. Ultimate peace has been established when the carnivores can no longer kill than eat. And in the millennium, millennium kingdom, the king of beasts is tamed. The Bible uses hundreds of metaphors and images to describe the indestructible power of God Almighty. Animals and other forms of nature can help us to understand specific aspects of God's character. Jesus is called the Lamb of God in John chapter 1 verse 36 to illustrate his gentleness and willingness to be the sacrifice for our sins. But he also is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, to display his absolute authority and power over all creation. The Lord may be king of the jungle, but the Lion of the tribe of Judah is the king of kings. Sisters and brothers in Christ, we know that we are indebted to God that there is no way out of sin unless we believe in Christ Jesus, unless we believe that he resurrected from the dead, 
that his atoning blood made a one-time sacrifice that we all can be set free from slavery of sin. I know that a lot of people are tired of hearing us preachers talk about the blood, talking about the cross, but a lot of people don't know the significance of that. The blood, hallelujah, without the blood, there can be no remission of sin. Our blood is tainted from disobedience and being alienated from God in the Garden of Eden. But the blood of Jesus was not tainted because, number one, it was not of an earthly blood. It was Jesus. It was the Christ and the flesh that allowed him to be unblemished. We, a lot of us don't know about the cross. The cross is a burden. It is a burden when the Bible says you must lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow him. Follow him how? We have never seen him, but we follow him in his word as he has instructed us through his word. His word became flesh and dwelt among us. By his word being in the flesh, it took out all contaminations that the body has if we become firm believers in Christ. I think in the Bible, Romans says that if we confess Christ with our mouths, and believe in our hearts that God resurrected him from the dead, we shall be saved. Saved from what? You need to ask yourselves these questions. Saved from what? For the rudiments of this world, idolatry, whoredom, all types of false doctrine. When you know the word of God, nobody can come to tell you anything. I was reading a couple of days ago where a pastor has had his parishioners to fast unto death. And 99 people have gone on and met God, whether they met him in peace or met him in war. I remind you of Jim Jones, and I'm not particularly picking at anyone, but look how many people that lost their lives, possibly lost their souls, because Satan, the roaring lion, put a something in one's carnal mind to try to emanate God, to set himself up as God. We know that there was no God before God, and that will be done after him, that we are the children of the living God. I always say this all the time. We are all God's creation, but a lot of us are not his children. I thank you today for listening to the podcast. I pray that it be a blessing to you. And that as you go to the weekend and you go into the house of worship on the day of worship, that you might think about the things that are said in this podcast. May God bless you, smile upon you, and give you peace.